This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks, as always, for clicking play on the pod. Well, welcome, Nature Nerds, to another episode. How are you doing? I uh, hope you all had a lovely week and a lovely weekend. Usually, I'd be recording these intros out and about on a walk, but I went to leave the house today and it was absolutely in it down. I just didn't fancy having my phone out when I'm trying to walk around doing some intros. So I'm just sat in my living room. Lovely to have you here back on an episode of Into the Wild. I've noticed recently, all the episodes we've done recently have been very heavily focused on like conservation methods. I mean, we're talking about rewilding, we had the Namibia episode, we've got the part two coming up in a few weeks um, in Namibia, which is talking about community-based conservation, which is quite often the way when we're talking about wildlife and and nature and conservation, we're talking about uh, people and uh, the work that's being done and the ideas, solutions and stuff. We have done a few episodes about animals, specific animals as well, but what we haven't done, I suddenly realised we haven't done a Nature Room 101 in ages and I've got a lot to rant about. (laughs) Um, For new listeners of the show, Nature Room 101 is a really fun episode where I get two guests on that have been on the show before and we have a rant about things about nature that (laughs) us off, basically. Um, If you haven't listened to one before, go through the back catalogue. There's three available. They're really fun. So uh, just a bit of a teaser for you all. There's going to be a Nature Room 101 being recorded next week. I'm going to be recording with two guests that have been on the show before two very good friends of mine and we're going to do a nature room 101 so stand by for that anyway on to today's show so we've recently spoken about wolves with social scientist hannah peterson we've spoken about wildwood kent or wildwood trust in kent with paul whitfield and today kind of uh, going on this theme we're talking about wild boar now wild boar is one of those animals that if you start to talk about Everyone's got an opinion, everyone wants to talk about it, it's divisive, it's got pros, it's apparently got some cons and people are terrified and there's what's going on. But what I wanted to do is similar to the wolf chat, I wanted to talk to someone that could talk to me about wild boar from a bit of a history and a bit about where we can find them in the UK, why we can't find them more places and what is being done or what needs to be done to find more wild boar in our environment. Now the only person that I wanted to talk to is someone that has living in a place very near the Forest of Dean, uh, which some of you may know has a very good population of wild boar. She is currently writing a book about them and therefore has done a lot of, lot of studying and um, research into these species and the benefits and the cons um, and the communication element of bringing these animals back into our uh, native habitat. And that is Chantelle Lyons. Chantel tells me all about the theories of how wild boar got back into the UK, which they're quite funny. What she believes uh, needs to be done to stabilise populations and bring them back a little bit. And also talking about the benefits, both environmentally and a bit for kind of, also for like landowners to actually create stronger 
I guess, stronger soil, stronger land, stronger habitat, ecosystems, all that jazz around where they are. Um, but also some of the problems as well, which they could face or what we are seeing in other European countries at times as well. Whether they should be a problem or not, they are currently being a problem. So that's what this episode is all about. It was a really good chat, really enjoyed it. We only recorded it on Friday a couple of days ago, so <laughs> it's very fresh in my mind. But this episode, Nature Nerds, is called Wild Boar in the UK with Chantelle Lyons. Well, Chantelle, welcome to Into the Wild. It's lovely to have you here on, I'm going to say, this is like one of the first autumnal days we've actually had in London. It is actually 12 degrees. It's actually a bit nippy, low sunlight. How is it where you are? It's actually beautiful. Um, we have not had a good sunny day for a while. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, oh, we're summer. grateful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm grateful that it has been raining a lot. Uh, it's been really great to see various ponds and things around yeah. the woods recharging, finally. But also, I do miss the sun, so it was lovely to get up this morning and walk in the sunlight and see the sun coming through the trees. It was nice, wasn't it? I, I, we had mm. the same thing. It was like, it's been a bit rainy this week. Although saying that, like the rain, I don't, we're just talking about the weather now. There was a night mm. where it was like really heavy rain, but in my, I woke up in the night going, that's heavy. But then I work outdoors and I just thought, if it's heavy now, that's good. Yes. Because that Get means it it's very unlikely to carry on throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's very muddy, though, when you're walking around that is true. places afterwards. Um, but welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you here. Let's start at the obvious bit, as we always do on Into the Wild. Chantel, do you want to tell us who you are and what is it you do? I guess I would describe myself simply as a writer and environmentalist. I've had a few jobs over the years, mainly, well, always working in the nonprofit sector, really. More recently, I finally got into my dream sort of world of, of the environment. I now work most of the time at a nonprofit environmental communications agency called Mindfully Wired. So that's four days a week. And nice. uh, that means I have uh, the Friday and the weekend to do writing. So I've always um, been a writer. I've mostly written novels, science fiction and fantasy. Um, but finally, uh, sort of the dream has kind of come true um, as of last year when I signed with Bloomsbury to write a book about wild boar and their return to Britain. Nice. And so that's where the writing comes in. So, yes, yeah, so I've always written just sort of as an amateur on my own. But, yeah. Something that's now no longer fantasy. But... Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's really it's really weird how the world works. Um, yeah. yeah. I didn't expect the dream to come true this way, but it has. That's yeah. really cool. What, what a lovely route you've taken on your, like, literature career. That's lovely. Um, yeah. So, obviously, a nature lover, nature fan. And also, I, know, I mean, we've conversed about doing this episode and we, we were hoping to, hoping to be able to do it on location but it's just time did not work for us so i know roughly the environment you're living in so mm -hmm. you must have a decent answer to the question what's been your nature highlight in the last seven days yeah probably i think the um there's a lot of deer around here mm. so many too many probably probably sadly <laughs> because they don't have all their predators but uh, there was a few days ago in the morning, I, I do like to, whether I'm working in Bristol or working from home, I like to get up really early and have a walk before work. Mm. And um, this mor that morning, this, uh, it was still pretty dark and I saw this group of fallow deer ahead. And I do think it was this case where they weren't expecting a human to be around um, because <laughs> I sort of, I wanted to give them warning that I was there and I started clearing my throat to let them know I was there and they just uh, they just ignored me even though and so I just wonder if they just it was this expectation effect where they were just assuming oh it'll be fine you know and just totally ignoring yeah we, we're um, always fine at me this clearing time. my yeah <laughs> 
clearing my throat in the background. And then finally they all realise I'm coming up. I'm walking towards them. They're all like, oh. and they all finally run. They all finally run away. But um, they took so long to run away that I was so near them that the smell of them was still hanging oh, in the air. Oh wow! And it was amazing, just sort of that trace of them still there, and me sort of walking through this cloud of mm. deer smell. Isn't it weird when you get yeah. another sense from an animal, like sight? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're ever lucky, like I guess with insects or amphibians, you might get to like you know hold or feel if you if you know how to do that and but with larger mammals or or even birds to have that extra sense come in Mm. really gives you a a bit more of a connection i had that in when i was away recently with a huge murmuration of birds you could smell them oh i've never smelled a bird (laughs) oh it was it was like this i mean i guess the closest thing i could relate it to was working in a captive environment with birds because it's you know in a in in an indoor den you smell it more but it's i don't know if it's from the the dust from the plumage or just the group or it could even just be the (laughs) i don't know like could be but there's just that smell that just came from this huge thousands of birds just flying around right above our heads and uh, yeah it was just amazing but so i i kind of get that that kind of extra sense of being near that animal and it is also nice to see animals when they're not expecting you to i always think i'm going to catch them doing something remarkable do you know yeah, what I mean? you, like, you usually have to get to put up a, a trail camera or something where we, where we suddenly them, yeah. see like they're up to something yeah like wh- why did that deer have a fire extinguisher in its hand something like that like oh god no one's gonna believe me um yeah. well, what a lovely highlight so you mentioned it briefly when you were explaining who you are is about wild boar <laughs> so it's not out yet but you're writing this book and this is what we're talking mm. about today because wild boar and i guess for people listening we are likely talking just about the uk here uh, and maybe even specifically as England. Um, but wild boar, much like the wolf, this animal brings many opinions, many voices to the table um, in the discussion of nature restoration in this country. And it probably has in other countries as well, but specifically in the UK. But why have these animals for you, Chantel, been a focus in what you wanted to write about or learn about or engage with? Well, it started when I read uh, Feral by George Monbiot in mm. 2013. And it blew my mind, like like it did with pretty much everyone, I think, at least in our sort of the nature space. And it was uh, quite serendipitous because around that time I needed a dissertation topic for my master's. I was doing a kind of environmental social science master's. And I was reading this book and then also around that time there were loads of headlines about the wild boar in the Forest of Dean Mm -hmm. causing havoc. And I was reading all this literature in, in geography and I thought, Oh my god, the wild boar would be a fantastic case for um, you know f- to write about and mm. to do a dissertation on. So I went to the Forest of Dean uh, the summer of 2014, and I went and interviewed a lot of people, almost 30 people, and these were quite long interviews, like a few hours at a time, mm. often walking around the woods with them. And these are people who either love having the boar around or absolutely hate having them around. Wow! And what I found. I was not expecting. Maybe I should leave that for later. I don't know. Spoilers. We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> yes, let's definitely come back to that. But I, I and when I finished, you know, I, I got a good mark for the dissertation. But more than that, I kept thinking, my God, this is an incredible story. And I always, it's like I wanted to shake everyone's shoulders and say, my God, everyone, look at what's going on here. It's incredible. This is something, there's something happening here that hasn't happened in centuries and, you know, in this country. And I kept thinking as well that someone is going to write a book about this. Maybe it should be someone who lives there. So this was eight years ago. And all this time I kept thinking, okay, you know, there's going to be a book about it soon. Mm. Yep. 
and there wasn't anything. And finally, uh, last year, sort of in the around February, um, I had a short piece published on an online journal called Inkcap about the Forest of Dean um, and the wild boar there. The book came from that uh, because I then sort of sent a speculative proposal to a guy called Jim at Bloomsbury. And uh, and he said, yeah, write it. So at that point, it's like, oh, okay, I actually Uh-oh. have to write a book now. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but you know, I do feel this huge sense of privilege because uh, you know I'm the one who gets to write the story. But to properly go back to your question, I think I mean the boar. Obviously, there hasn't been a book looking at the return of boar across mm. the UK. There have been two um, kind of self-published books about the boar, specifically in Kent and East Sussex. Right. Um, both of those were by two men who sort of you know, started watching them and studying them when they got there in the 90s. Um, but there hasn't been one sort of more recent and that's looking at the boar across the UK. As you said, more general, general light landscape, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, the boar for me, you know, I thought they were pretty cool, you know, around when I, when I rocked up there in 2014 to talk to people about them. And then after that, obviously, I gained an entirely new appreciation for them. I saw I had one fantastic sighting of a boar sort of at the end of my uh, sort of interviewing work in the Forest of Dean that year. Mm. You know, it did sort of everything I learned sort of pointed to the fact that these are incredibly remarkable creatures. Um, partly, I mean, you know, I have a lot of respect for the ones that have managed to settle here and establish these populations. But the boar as well are an incredibly unique species. So um, Benedict MacDonald, in his latest book, Cornerstones, he uses this great, great phrase for the boar. He calls them an ecological singularity. Um, and um, what he means by that is that, um, so the wild boar, as we know it, roughly evolved around three to four million years ago in, in Asia, and it came over to Europe. But um, it's basically been unchanged in that form for, yeah, like three or four million years. And it's just stayed as that one species. You know, you often get um, various species or animals that you have lots of subspecies or lots of very closely related species. But the boar is just a wild boar because it's got it's it's hit on this brilliant evolutionary sort of strategy. Um, It's got the perfect form that fits in all these different environments. So it hasn't had to sort of radiate out into more species because, yeah, because it is so adaptable as a species already. So you get the same species all the way from Japan, you know, to to, to Portugal, basically. That's mad, yeah. Yeah. So they are, they're a really fascinating animal. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we we can talk about that more later with some of the questions that you've got. So obviously you're like... And I don't mean to ask this question because I don't want to go straight to the, oh, it's a divisive mm. topic. But, you know, any animal that we talk about bringing back or restoring or mm. moving back to an area is going to have some sort of divide. But obviously, you're very passionate about nature restoration and, and having an animal like the wild boar back in different landscapes where it works. And so what was it like? And you don't have to give us, I guess, let's talk about more of the, the actual information later. But what it was like, what mm. was it like talking to someone that didn't want them around? Like, how did you kind of work your way? Because that's going to be challenging for mm. you, kind of both based on your opinions and mentally as well, I guess. Yeah. Well, it, it was a really emotional experience because I did go to the Forest of Dean thinking, oh, I think most of these people are just being a bit, a bit hysterical, exaggerating. Yeah. But, you know, I found myself face to face with people who were putting their heads in their hands uh, a few, um, a few people, mostly. I mean, a lot of them um, women, and you know, they seemed. A few of them did seem close to the verge of tears, sort of describing, sort of times they've been terrified. A lot, a lot of these women were also horse riders. A lot of horses are scared of yeah, yeah. pigs or uh, boar. 
And so they've had quite a few dicey experiences where their horse sort of bucked or reared or kind of went mad when they were riding in the forest. Mm. You know, there's there's that threat to their lives as well as the lives of the animals that they love. So there is a huge amount of emotion wrapped up in it. You know, you've got people on both sides, the, the pro and the anti-ball side, sort of swapping hate mail and... and uh, <laughs> it's like gets, gets a wee bit yeah. personal sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, it's caused a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of emotional distress on both sides. I mean, for me, I suppose it was, I kind of didn't hide the fact that I did quite like the boar myself. I was really humbled by sort of the generosity that people showed me yeah. in um, talking to me about the boar. And I mean, a lot of them, pretty much all of them once, well, with the uh, the dissertation, I had to use pseudonyms just for the ethics. But also um, a lot of them who I've since got back in touch with to ask, oh, could I use some of your quotes in the book if possible? Again, most people want pseudonyms because it's still such a, you know, there's still really lots wow. of raw memories. Yeah. yeah. But I, again, I'm really... Yeah, you know, I've pretty much been able to sort of get the permission of everyone that I spoke to back in 2014. You know, That's if amazing, I can yeah. Quote, yeah, quote them in this book, um, which again I, I've been really, I'm really grateful for, um, and it shows that this is a really important issue to say. To yeah. All these people. Yeah, absolutely. And so the so the wild boar, I mean, obviously we know they're in the, the Forest of Dean, and I think you mentioned somewhere in was it Kent, but the, so yeah, where, a few do places, we have yeah. them in the UK? Yes. And if yeah, so, like, um, are there are there pockets or are they like how does it work? Yeah, pockets is a good way to describe it. And um they it's been it's been a really twisty, interesting story and one that hasn't really gone the way a lot of people expected it to mm. go, I think. Uh, so the first population that we know of in England began sort of around 1987 with the Great Storm. Uh, tree came down, fence went down, and then some boar got out of the farm. <laughs> yep, in, um, yeah, intended in. Was that them coming back? So they were, they were native. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I should start earlier. So yeah. <laughs> maybe I should go all the way back to about six or seven hundred years ago. So it's yeah. a bit fuzzy. But there the was date. another storm. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So. Boar have been always been native here. Obviously, right. with the ice age, you know, when when the ice receded, um, like many other animals, including ourselves, as soon as England, as soon as the UK was sort of free of ice, you know, the boar would come back over the land bridge mm. um, through Doggerland um, and recolonise Britain. And uh, finally, when the last, the most recent ice, uh, glacial period ended, they came back again, as did we. So, you know, they are very firmly native species. Right. And we hunted them to extinction around the 1300s. Um, it's a bit fuzzy. So in England, it definitely looks like it was sort of the end of the 1200s, actually. They might have held on for a bit longer in Scotland. Um, <laughs> a bit but, more yeah, sustainable and, in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, there's a lot of discussion about when they did actually die out or whether they clung on for like a you know two or three hundred more years. Mm. Um, it does seem like often the cases where there are reports of boar in the 16 or 1700s, it was maybe a rich person who imported a few from the continent right. because obviously they've always been there and yeah. um, and brought them over and put them in an estate and maybe a few escaped. Um, it doesn't seem likely that they did survive in the wild beyond the 1300s. So obviously we would have, you know, they obviously once Doggerland went under the water, they would have been isolated. They were still wild boar, um, but obviously probably would have had a few unique, unique qualities as British wild boar. Mm -hmm. So they their story ended um, kind of several, quite a few hundred years ago. And then it started again around 1987 with the Great Storm bringing that uh, fence down. So the first came from there, probably. It looks like there were maybe a few other escapes enabling a population to start there. And where was that? Whereabouts was that? Yeah, that, so that was uh, in Kent and East Sussex. So right. I'm trying to... Uh, there's a few 
Yeah, sort of there's that kind of, there's a sort of a border region between those two counties. But the southeast kind of. Yeah, the southeast, yeah. Yeah, Um, places like Ashdown Forest and things like that. Right. Going into the 90s and early 2000s, there were then populations popping up in Devon and Dorset. And then also up in Scotland, there were first initially two populations, so one in Dumfries and Galloway and the other around Lochaber. Now there's quite a few more in Scotland, but they're still really under the radar and all the focus has been on England, even though Scotland is where the real growth is now. Yeah. And England has really been receding. So apart from the Forest of Dean, which is their stronghold for now, the um, they're in decline everywhere else in England. The ones in Devon and Dorset seem to be just completely, almost completely gone, perhaps just a few individuals left if that. I do keep hearing rumours of some around uh, Stourhead in Wiltshire. So there may be a few there. Uh, I had heard recently that someone had seen a sow with piglets. So obviously they are able to breed there still. And in Kent and East Sussex, they, you know, I think a year ago, again, they did see some piglets. So there's a bit of breeding there. But mm. um, in Kent and East Sussex, the numbers have definitely gone down a lot um, based on what, you know, I've, what I've read and what people living there have told me. And it's interesting. I mean, DEFRA went sent a guy in the 90s to study this population once it started um in the southeast and uh and they put together they did sort of actually two reports on wild boar so the first one was on focusing on the ones in kentney sussex and they said in that report uh based on our data and our modeling probably they are going to go extinct again given the level of hunting and the fact right. that they're the not the, the amount of habitat just isn't enough to sort of shelter them from that poaching mm. um, and hunting. So poaching is in, you know, it's it's legal to shoot them if they come onto your land. Um, it's poaching if you're on, for example, forestry England land um, yeah. and you just come and shoot them. So there's there's legal shooting and there's illegal shooting of them. Um, and uh, yeah. Tricky one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tricky indeed to prove anything at any point with this stuff. Um, I mean, how long is their lifespan? How long do they live for? Mm. Do they live long? They yeah, well, I guess um I guess they live relatively long. Uh they so around fifteen to twenty years um is the estimate given. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, but presumably as in nature as often in nature, hey, I'm sure many of them have much shorter lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's the short answer to that question. And and yeah. like when you say like, so when we got the piglets, I mean, if I'm guessing, right, I'm gonna have a guess. I would imagine between four and six piglets at a time. That's a really good guess, actually. Yeah. Um, well, that's one of the things that makes the wild boars um, almost unique. Uh, so they belong to this very gigantic group of mammals called the artiodactyls, and that includes all kinds of animals from deer to whales mm. to cattle to boar. Mm. Um, and uh, pretty much all of those animals have one or two babies at a time, maybe very rarely triplets. Peccaries, which are kind of by convergent evolution are very similar looking to pigs, yeah. um, can also have quite big groups of babies, you know, around for. But um, no one can have as many babies as a wild boar can in that group of mammals <laughs> because a wild boar, you know, they've got eight nipples. They can they can have eight, even up to ten, ten, ten. piglets. Yeah, um, which is why pigs are so productive. You yeah. know, obviously, we, there's we there's been a lot of artificial selection. We bred them to be even more fertile, mm. you know, to produce even more offspring. But the wild boar, nat- uh, you know, in its natural state, can produce a lot of babies. But um, you know, four to six is is quite common, really. And um, there is a lot of, is one of the many points of debate around the wild boar in England um, are you know whether they're having lots of babies and if that's because they have domestic some domestic pig genes in them. But um, certainly, well, I've been here and all the babies and the groups of sows i've seen so the 
the sows um, live in these groups called sounders, so these collectives of females, mm. um, and they all they usually synchronise their births, so they all give birth at the same time, so they can sort of share babysitting duties. Epic. So yeah, so they all you get this look crash of babies, and you might see. I mean, I saw one group which had twenty five piglets, or roughly twenty five. I couldn't <sighs> count them, possibly more, but that was between seven sows. So wow. twenty five divided by seven, actually not that much, but um, no. you do get a lot of people saying, "Oh, I've seen a sow." with 14 babies they're breeding too much but you know they're not all her babies she could be on duty that could be her duty yeah 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 a crash of piglets Mm. is by far one of the most adorable it's a very lovely (laughs) thing to imagine it's a crash of piglets well they obviously um uh, you know these days um the favored slang is humbug because they look like the humbug sweets so you could call them a pack of humbugs or you know a bag of humbugs yeah a bag of humbugs that would be cute that is adorable (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, with animals like wild boar, it's easy. Like, I, I guess when we're talking about like nature restoration and bringing animals back, one of the most important questions, personally to me, I believe, is before we start looking at bringing an animal back, is why? Like, what? Like, we I understand why it went. Is it a case of just it was a shame it went? It should be back, or is there also this purpose? And I don't like to always put that on an on an animal because it's like, well, it shouldn't have to have a purpose to be back. But when we're looking at working, I guess, with communities and landowners at bringing an animal like a wild boar back, I guess a purpose is a handy thing to have. So with an ecosystem, what are the benefits to having wild boar within that? There are quite a few benefits. They are often called an uh, an ecosystem engineer, mm. which a lot of people associate that term with beavers. Yes. Um, boar, in their own right, are very important. And I think often complementary with beavers. They are very important for, for plant growth, um, creating new opportunities for a more diverse range of plant species. So the main, you know, the main foraging strategy for boar is is what's called rooting, right. and that's where they use their powerful snouts to dig up the earth. You know, you literally, if you watch a boar or a pig, they will literally like, you know, um, dig their snout into the ground and sort of flick it yeah. up, and you get this giant clod of earth flying into the air. They do that so they can get to um, plant and animal matter that they find in the soil. They have fantastic, a fantastic sense of smell, uh, better than dogs, mm. you know, possibly the best mammal smell ever, mammal sense of smell. Um, and they're doing that to get bulbs, tubers, roots, um, invertebrates, so uh, grubs, um, perhaps even buried acorns and things like that. The cache, uh, you know, the, the sort of um, the acorn caches yeah. of, uh, of other animals. They will opportunistically eat other animals if they can. You know, they do eat carrion. So they've calculated that the average wild boar, their diet is 90% plant and fungi matter. And then the other 10% is animals. But we can go into that. Into that yeah. Well, it kind of makes sense. As an animal that's yeah. just rooting around, yes. like it is opportunistic, yeah. isn't it? If you're going to come across something, you won't yeah. waste it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, what that action does, um, so they are breaking, sort of breaking through the leaf litter. They are churning up the soil. So they're essentially mixing up all the different stratas of soil that, uh, all the strata of soil um that you get lying on top of each other and if you if you don't have an animal like a boar then that soil system is just going to be static it's just going to be sitting there um you do have i mean other animals like badgers will will mm, sort of do yeah. a bit of rooting but um they you know they're not going to do it as extensively and as deeply as uh, the wild boar um so the wild boar have this rotivating kind of disturbing impact you know you've got this uh sort of bit of land that's literally just grass so if you put a boar or a pig in or a pig in there such as a tamworth um 
you know, they when they by digging up that grass, by exposing the soil, by mixing the different layers of the soil, you're you're kind of changing sort of the the biochemistry mm. of that right. soil. You know what the bacteria and what the fungi are doing by removing sort of the grass. You're then giving the chance for um, the seeds in the seed bank to grow. So that does often encourage the growth of wildflowers that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So get like get, creating those almost like doors of opportunity for other plants to start the germination process again. Exactly. Yeah, and um, you know it just it, it gets rid of that sort of monoculture sort of um, quality that you get in a lot of landscapes. Uh, these days. And uh, I mean, another really nice nuance to it um, is that all those different plants are really good for lots of different invertebrates. But also when you have bits of um, kind of freshly rooted ground next to ground that was previously rooted and then it's grown it's grown over with vegetation, it's got flowers growing there. But there are some, actually some invertebrates that really benefit from laying their eggs on these plants that are next to these rooted patches because um, they have more exposure to the sun. Right. It's, it creates different microclimates. So you're creating an ecosystem, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're sort of creating new sort of, yeah, well, you're creating new habitats within that ecosystem, mm. sort of almost like lots of more, lots more hooks yeah. for other animals to hang their lives on, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, that's just one of sort of, that's a very sort of fine scale kind of benefit of them. Another really interesting thing that happens as a result of their rooting, they uh, they do love eating fungi. I mean, who doesn't? Fungi are great, Beautiful. very tasty. Absolutely lovely. Um, <laughs> but uh, they've done lots of experiments where they found that wild boar poo is absolutely packed with the spores of uh, mycorrhizal fungi. And often they've done all these experiments where they've gotten the poo of like deer and, and boar, and then they've essentially uh, sort of planted the poo, they've put the poo in the soil of, of all these plants or, you know, with these seeds and then sort of seen how where they grow and, and how many sort of connections they've got with, with the mycorrhizal fungi. And when you use boar poo, you get a lot more mycorrhizae, you know, sort of these, these fungal networks growing up around these new plants because there are so many spores. And, uh, and they've even looked in the lab, they've sort of, looked under a microscope and seen that actually passing through the digestive system of a boar sort of changes the spores slightly and makes them more likely to germinate. So much in the way that many fruit species are like to be eaten by birds, so that the birds fly away, disperse the seeds to new places, and often, um, you know, when they poo, they're, they're sort of, they're surrounded by sort of the nutrients in the poo, but also passing through the digestive systems of animals can often do you know, kind of change the structure um, of that seed or that spore in a way that makes it more likely to germinate and flourish um, once it's come out the other end. So that does seem to be happening with spores. And they also think that some fungi actually put out aromas that attract the boar. So they know, you know, in their own way, they know that the boar are going to provide a taxi service yeah. to them. They're going to ferry them to uh, other places, which is really crucial because a lot of these species have no other way to disperse apart from if some animal comes and carries the spores away from them that's amazing that's that kind of like specific yeah that, I've, i think i've said it on the show before i love that kind of specific niche connection to organisms and there are hundreds of thousands more so but like just mm. that kind of you know the, the boar having i guess from maybe a more diverse diet as well it creates this internal yes yeah exactly kind of feeding system for the seeds to go through and all that kind of stuff just all connects in right so yeah and they're also because they they do they can roam really far mm. over one night so they've got this long digestive system so the spores go through this animal they you know the gut retention time as they call it is, is quite a few hours so that boar can then travel quite quite far in those few hours potentially so they're getting a really great 
taxi service. You know, they're going all the way. And, um, you know, if you extrapolate that, if you think about the implications, it means that they could be really important for woodland regeneration and restoration because you need healthy soil full of things like mycorrhizal fungi to support um, regenerating woodland. So if you have the ball going around and sort of dropping their poo everywhere. It's going to be a good sign. Yeah. And still on the subject of poo, um, because it's really important, uh, dung beetles absolutely love it. Um, I mean, in the forest of Dean, you get a lot. Uh, the, the dung beetle you're most likely to see is the mm. door beetle. So that's spelled D-O-R. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever, I mean, boar poo is pretty easy to find. And uh, they have particular dunging spots where you just find it all over the place. You can't miss it. And um, in the summer, um, you kind of, it just sometimes, it's just like a dung beetle party sometimes. Because <laughs> you see all these dung beetles just completely going wild, crawling all over this poo. And it's great. <laughs> and uh, I mean, one one other time um, I came across this group of um, minotaur beetles, which are, look quite similar to door beetles, but they're a bit bigger and have the, they have these incredible um, sort of spikes mm. on their head. And they look like um, the insect version of a triceratops, basically. Um, but what they were doing, they were sort of pulling the poo apart, but also digging all these holes. And I then later researched them and found out that those holes can go down like a metre, which wow. is incredible. But they were there because of the wild boar poo. So those dung beetles are kind of complementary to the positive impact of the wild boar, because if they're um, taking the, the boar poo mm. into the soil, then they're kind of quickening the yeah, process yeah. Of, of the nutrients and the spores and things in that in that um, poo, sort of quickening um, sort of how quickly they're getting back into mm. the soil and benefiting other species and then of course the dung beetles then provide food for other animals such as bats so it's this beautiful beautiful circle of life yeah yeah it, this is where you see it come all around it's like all these little connections and like hooks that just just work it's it's so yeah i find it mm. i guess in our, our world our current society it's, it's specific in a very non-natural way of how we eat but when you go back to go like look this does this and then that dominoes to that and then that dominoes to... it's just mad when you start yeah. looking at it it's like a line that doesn't end <laughs> yeah 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 so the other when you ask you know sort of just in terms of people getting on with them they mm. are really hard to get on with in some cases obviously in europe they've always been there people mm. manage to live their lives okay um but in places where they've come back it can be different so in sweden for example where they've had both wolves and wild boar come yeah. back um they did a survey a few years ago and they found that more people were afraid of boar than wolves really <laughs> it just goes to show yeah and i mean in the forest of dean you know a lot of people say you know they're terrifying and that they're afraid that if they see a boar they will be attacked which is probably not the case mm. if you have a dog maybe they're going to go over after the dog but i've come across boar quite oft quite a few times now and they always run away as soon as they know you're there you know they are for the most part very shy they're not going to attack you as soon as they see you but yeah, a lot of yeah. people do still have that idea and there's a lot of hysteria in the media mm. and among the public yes about yeah it. i mean that is definitely true <laughs> yeah um and then the other thing in terms of their ecological benefits uh just just very quickly yeah. uh so so wallowing so mm-hmm. um obviously we all know pigs love to roll around in mud uh so wild boar do that all the time it's a really important part of their life it's an important part of maintaining their own health and hygiene so they create these really great wallowing spots sort of these bits of ponds of really gloopy mud um but also often and essentially they often end up turning them into actual ponds mm. which create habitat for amphibians and and various invertebrates and other species they also create drinking spots for other animals so there's this great wallow near me uh, i put a camera up in front of it and then during the heat wave it was 
like Piccadilly Circus. There were so really? many animals coming to it. I got sparrowhawks and buzzards coming down and just Amazing. sitting in this ball Amazing. wallow because you could see how hot they were. Yeah. And you could see what a lifeline it was. And long after all the other water sources had dried up, that ball wallow was still going. Mm. And it was incredible just to see the impact that that was having. If the ball weren't there, I, I don't know what some of those animals mm. would have done, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's really important. Um, and then finally, um, people often talk, some scientists um, talk about what's called the necrobiome. So... See, you know what happens to to dead animals and and, and other organisms once they die. You know the, the importance of their body to the ecosystems, and um, because we just don't have many large animals in this country apart mm. from deer, you just don't have the dead bodies that you used to have lying around. Um, so, see, wild boar obviously an important prey source for animals such as wolves, um, but then also you know when they die, um, that's a really important source of nutrients for many right. other species, and one that again this country is lacking. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like you said, what about those species or the sheer number at all? I guess that's the same with any species, though, right? Mm. Like if you bring them back, it's another another dead body. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, the one final thing I would say is basically, you know, while the boar have been rewilding themselves in mm. this country, they have also been rewilding us. I mean, in places like the Forest of Dean, you know, there are so many people who are either terrified or thrilled by having them around. Mm. Um, but all of these people talked about how, you know, being in the forest is different now. They're aware of the fact that there might be boar around. And that has completely changed their mindset, how they relate to the world around them, their senses. You know, they're always wondering, are there boar? They're listening yeah. and they're looking. And no one in this country has had to do that for 700 years or so. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, wolves hung on for a few more centuries, but there were so few of them, probably most for quite a few hundred years most you know no one ever worried about them because yeah. they, there were so few and then they were gone so you know, obviously in the uk we are a very unique people and that we haven't had to think about this for such a long time but now totally. finally in a few places again we do yeah it's making us it's given us that connect back as well and there's a, yeah it's a, it's a really important part of um bringing animals back is that that connection with us mm. again and and bringing us back to the land but no yeah. absolutely yeah Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much, and back onto the show. So that that all makes sense, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> There's people listening yeah. now, Chantel, that are like, "Yep, gotcha." Yeah. Like 100 <laughs> wild boar. They disturb the soil. They create yeah. new habitats. Their <laughs> is good always with nature. Inverts love it. Soil loves it. Fungi loves it. It just when we hear all this, you go, "Why would we not want these back?" Mm. But. There's always a massive but when we talk about nature restoration because we are talking about a very different time. So what are the current risks with having them back in the, whether it's urban areas or more rural areas, what are the battles and the risks that we're seeing with having an animal like the wild boar back in our forests? Well, um, we'll definitely need to go back to some of the other benefits because there are some more, but okay, we can, you can edit yeah, those let's. back in, I guess. Uh, yeah. But to answer that question, I think, you know, the question you asked was, uh, are, the risks, yeah, are the risks in bringing them back to areas that have had them gone for so long? I would say yeah. leaving aside all our environmental destruction, 
it's they haven't been gone for that long in sort of in evolutionary and ecological terms it's kind of been the blink of an eye I mean if you think about the fact that the Joshua trees in the USA are still waiting for some giant sloths to come around and um, sort of spread their seeds for them and that and they died out 15,000 years ago yeah, uh, yeah. it's going to be a long time before our ecosystems learn to get a buy without what a ball right. um, so there's that's not an issue in itself but um Obviously, we have changed uh, the land, our landscapes a lot. Obviously, in the mm. UK, we are incredibly nature poor, or much nature poorer than we used to be, um, and our many of our ecosystems are pretty much wrecked. Um, and the wild boar do have the power to create a lot of damage because of the damage that we have done, which is quite tragic, really, because yeah. they can be such a force for good, but it can flip. You know, it, yeah, it, they they can be. In one environment, they can be an angel, and in another, they can be a demon, basically. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, to give an example of, of when they could be bad, let's take the case of adders. So obviously, adders, one of our few native uh, snake species in the UK, they're not mm. doing very well, like many other species. Um, they really are in decline. They've just got a few kind of strongholds left in the U- in, in England, at least, I believe. Uh, and there is concern in the Forest of Dean about whether the boar are having an impact on the adders. You know, the Forest of Dean is one of their strongholds. There have been reports of people finding snakes that were... So I, I don't want to say hibernation because apparently the term for, for hibernation when it comes to reptiles is a brumation. But I don't know how many people are going to know about that. But when it's snakes that are essentially hibernating... Um, They're not active, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, a boar, if a boar found a, a sleepy snake, yeah, it probably would eat that snake just opportunistically. Mm. There was this quite sad case in Belgium where these scientists had lots of different names nature reserves and they were studying the adder populations there and they had to change their study because uh, the growing boar population started encroaching onto these reserves and eating all the snakes and they changed their study to being about oh how the boar have essentially triggered the loss of adders from right. all these different sites we we're studying so we can't study the adders anymore because the boar have eaten all of them and that is only because we have created all these tiny fragments of islands um, yeah, yeah. that all these animals sort of now find themselves confined to and obviously in the olden days when things weren't so bad in all these ecosystems you'd always have these local extinctions of, of different species going on but there would always be neighboring populations to come and recolonize so it would yeah. never be a problem you'd always have this dynamism in in these ecosystems and um or, you know there's these exchanges of life always happening so um the boar would never have a negative impact in that way they'd never be driving animals to extinction because um, the other species would always be able to come back mm. but that's quite different now yeah absolutely like these these pockets of or pocket well it, it comes to that thing again isn't it like we we it's animals aren't distributed in the way they used to be because of the changes that we've made to our our nation and our countries therefore the populations of some species or many species that we have are so delicate now that you know i guess that's where the complexity comes in with bringing back species because you have to it's not a case of will the boar kill the adders i don't think that's the question that people are truly asking because the answer is there's potential yes but the actual question are we we should be asking with that and this is my opinion is do we have a strong enough population of these current species to allow a new species to come in that might add more pressures on 
as well as what's currently going on in their habitat, I guess. Yeah, I'd say, and that's kind of the way I see it. I mean, obviously, the inevitable conclusion then is that the onus, the onus is on us to remove yes. our own pressures and to yeah. conserve those species. I mean, my also one of my conclusions is that there are some species that probably are just on the way out because we just so, show no inclination to change. <laughs> they're, they're going yeah, to go, yeah. whatever. And yeah. and if the boar, if animals such as the boar can actually from a utilitarian point of view, if they can actually help a lot of different species, then even if they do help speed a few species to extinction, which were already on their way there, then maybe we should still we should still go ahead, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like the Capercaillies in... Um, Capercaillies? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but <laughs> in Scotland. Uh, I mean, I think... So there's been research in um, Estonia, in Europe, uh, finding that wild boar do predate on the nests of Capercaillies. Um, potentially, they found evidence that they've eaten adult birds, though it isn't clear whether that was just a scavenged carrion. Yeah. So one argument could be that uh, we can't ever reintroduce, um, officially reintroduce boar to Scotland because we've still got a few capercaillies. But um, it does seem like within the next few years or at least or the next decade or something, we're not going to have those animals anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky <laughs> one, isn't it? It's, again, mm. I'm saying that phrase again, it's a tricky one because it is. It's that... It depends which way you look at the glass, right? It's like we've got a few capercaillies. It's like, okay, well, can you strengthen your capercaillie population? Yeah. <laughs> like, is are we using low populations of animals to determine what we do with other species? Of, I mean, it's a, it, yeah. you know, it's looking outward instead of inward on our own behaviour and pressures. I think so. Yeah. It's, I think looking inward a bit more. Oh God, yeah. it sounds so basic <laughs> and sloppy to say, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my argument, my sort of final argument at the end of the day would be well if pe people are saying that we've it's too damaged to bring mm. back species that should be here then surely we've already lost Forget, yeah. exactly and yeah, i don't and i don't think yeah. we have no so, i don't yeah. think we have yeah. no i don't think, i mean you can't you can't think yeah. we have i don't think anyone can it's like if we don't then go okay right well i might as well go and work in marketing then. Yeah. like it's yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean like i don't want a career working with endangered species yeah. that's and, not what i was i didn't yeah. say to my mum and dad i'd love to work with threatened animals no i wanted to work with animals yeah and i mean another argument i'd make is that i think a lot of people i think awareness is growing but i think a lot mm. of people just don't realize that the fact that we have all these missing species is its own kind of ongoing damage. You know, we sort of, yeah. you, you look at, say, okay, you look at a pipe of sewage leaking to a river, yeah, and it's happening right now, that's awful. But, I mean, in a way, sort of the absence of animals such as boar, it's happening in real time as well. You know, like as with the Joshua trees in the US, which, you know, can't reproduce so well because they don't have the giant sloths anymore. Our ecosystems are still feeling sort of the pain of missing all these animals such as boar um, and, yeah. and aurochs and uh, a diverse range of predators. So I think, so that's a really good argument for bringing boar mm. back as well as other big animals landowners this must be an issue with landowners not wanting them back i'd imagine i don't want to pin that if you're a landowner and you're listening i mean i'm jealous mm. like, that that must be a thing yes yeah, so, well the uh, often the rewilding landowners are very happy um i've of been yeah I, I i visited uh bun, bun Lloyd in scotland near uh, you know right by in uh loch ness you know, when they bought the place the boar were already there and they they originally thought they might have to bring some pigs in but you know now since they have wild boar already they're like okay job done <laughs> 
And right. uh, they, they've been seeing that the ball have been doing things such as clearing the bracken. Um, the bracken is actually, that's something that people often promote when it comes to the ball, saying that the mm. ball will just, you know, they'll clear all your bracken. It's great. We need them just to clear the bracken. They, I mean, it's, I think that's the danger of false expectations because they aren't yeah, always right. good, good at that. Um, I mean, there's an RSPB reserve here in the Forest of Dean called Nags Head. And I've asked them, you know, have you noticed them, the ball helping you clear the, the bracken? And they said, no, we still have to do it ourselves. <laughs> um, but, you know, so you can't rely on the ball for everything, but they no. do, they do rip up the bracken. And, and there are so many patches in the forest where you find all these one, you know, you find these patches in the bracken where all these foxgloves are coming up um, and they wouldn't have if the ball hadn't been there well this is this is what i mean you can't like i completely agree what you said you can't and i think this goes with other species you can't just pin every single benefit Mm. on every single population because it's going to change depending on where you are like if there's you know there might be some areas where there's loads of bracken and it doesn't matter how many boar you have there it will just be a maybe an unnoticeable indent in it and there's all these things it's all it's complex it's different in every population so you can't put the pressure on all of them (laughs) yeah um but and to go back to the question about landowners i mean yeah a lot of a lot of other landowners uh, hate having the ball there and and shoot them if they are there so in the forest of dean obviously you've got the core forest but then it's completely surrounded by farmland basically and pretty much everyone uh, you know every farmer is gunning for them so either they get pay someone to come and put traps up or to, to set up some bait stations and, and just shoot, pick the boar off if they come right. um, and eat the bait. I think there are probably, I think there are still a few places where you can pay to sort of sit out and then shoot them. So they have these high seats set up in front yeah. of the bait stations. So there's a lot of shooting of the boar that dare to step out of the forest, basically. Good way to keep them in the forest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> Hopefully um, they learn. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, it's often the males because the males tended to roam further and disperse more. Yeah, of course, um, yeah, of course. But yeah, so they obviously they are bad news for pasture because right, yeah. boar do what boar do, which is rooting up the ground. And mm. uh, they bloody love lawns because um they're the easiest <laughs> so thing easy, yeah, yeah they're, they're the easiest <laughs> thing like when you walk in the forest even all the grassy rides um all along the path it's all rooted up because that's the easiest thing it's like a yeah. i call it i think of it as a ball ready meal just like peeling the yeah, cling film the plastic you know off, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's just like peeling the grass off you know there's some really good stuff under there and it's really easy just to root grass up so that's why they love going for people's pasture and and um yeah. And their crops, mm. because, you know, they'll eat anything, but they also, you know, they have a sweet tooth. They love things like uh, maize, you know, corn, sweet corn. So, you know, you do get people tearing their hair out. Um, and that's happening in Scotland as well, mm. as well as people who have farmland around the Forest of Dean and people's lawns as well. So you do get a lot of people in around here have had to fortify put some really good fencing up to keep the boar out i ask those questions but it's similar with most most species to be honest mm. it's very easy for a species to become a nuisance to someone that is using the land for a specific reason yeah i mean i, I don't think we can anyone could argue that even if you don't see it as a nuisance yourself and that is you know i don't but it doesn't mean there's not a nuisance for someone so i guess it's it's stopping that animal or mitigating it becoming a nuisance yeah. for that which is where we're going to see the strength come through mm-hmm. how do you see uh wild boar populations coming back is there like a way that you're thinking i think that's how we could do it oh it's such a good question i mean in scotland they i mean my take on scotland is that the boar are kind of spreading but they're doing it so stealthily and so gradually incrementally that they're sort of still doing it under the radar and they're doing it pretty Mm. effectively sort of you know lots of people still just don't really realize that they're there and and they're just silently growing their numbers so they're sort of handling it quite well on their own up there. Here in, in, in down in England, um, 
as we've seen from Kent and East Sussex, if you've not got a huge amount of woodland and you've got lots of people shooting them, then they're not going to make it. I mean, wild boar are incredibly resilient and adaptable. And, uh, you know, you give them an inch and they will take a mile. But um, right. they've pretty much, they haven't been given a single inch um, in <laughs> Kent and East Sussex to, uh, to labour that saying. So they're going, to, they're going to need some help. I mean, it's really interesting what, I mean, in the Forest of Dean, how they started. And I found this out quite recently. So the story, you know, the kind of the common story is that some farmer went bankrupt and just dumped them all. But actually what I've learned just a few weeks ago is that it was a shooting syndicate who clubbed their money together, bought about 75 animals. And then the, the plan was the job of the lorry driver was to drop them off in batches of 20 around a few areas just around the forest. But he saw a police car at like 3am and he got spooked and he dropped them all off in one go. <laughs> and a lot of them got shot within the first few days. So we don't know how many have founded the population that we have here now. But they did make, you know, they did what the shooting syndicate wanted them to do which is to establish and spread and they obviously obviously the shooting syndicate did that because they wanted boar to shoot so you know it's like obviously i you know I, you don't condone it but then they did make it happen and uh, <laughs> yeah. i mean you know they it's wouldn't sometimes yeah. within their best interest yeah, i don't agree I mean, with it yeah but you can't argue it <laughs> yeah so i mean and you know and there there are there's lots of talk about when boar have popped up in other places for example mm. scott i mean actually just um just today um uh it came out just like yesterday, actually, that um, up in Argyll in Scotland, a new, a new group of boar have shown up. And it does sound to me like a shooting person has just dropped them off there um, load, yeah. to just help the population get going there. Um, so well, at the moment, maybe there's a collaboration yeah. here, Chantel. I'm just saying, yeah. I'm noticing yeah. a connection. Yeah. <laughs> a common goal. So that, yeah. <laughs> so for the foreseeable future, that's the only way it's going to happen. You know, people taking the law mm. into their own hands and doing it the wrong yeah. way, really, because you also, you don't know sort of what their sort of family history is and you don't know how many domestic pig genes they might have in them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a whole other story. Obviously, they look like boar, they're doing what boar do so to an extent the yeah. the, the the genes don't really matter obviously if you've got boar there are having like 14 babies in one go not happening but hypothetically but yes you was, wouldn't yeah, want you could, that yeah you know i think the genetic purity argument is one that is too focused on and people get too hung up on it but you also do it would be nice to have boar that are as sort of pure as, as possible as is feasible yeah exactly but but like you said it's not it's not just from an appearance point of view yeah. or a behavior it's like well like you said if they're suddenly giving birth more then we that massively changes what yeah, animal yeah. you're actually bringing back yeah. right so yeah. it, it does kind of alter it slightly yeah. and, it, and including what they might be eating as well mm. but yeah i mean so ju so just to continue that question um mm. i mean obviously we all want it to happen officially. We want the government to do what they've done with beavers, which is to give in and say, yeah, yeah actually, they're really good. Let, let's help them come back. Let's give them protection. That is not going to happen for the foreseeable future. There's two reasons. So one is the Dangerous Wild Animals Act. Yes. Uh, wild boar on that, so it's currently illegal to release them. Okay. Um, so that's something that doesn't need to be overcome. It could be. But then the other um, massive barrier is African swine fever. Right. And this is, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know how much sort of how often people take notice of this outside of sort of conservation and pig farming circles but it's it's a massive pandemic that's around among pigs that's been going on since around 2007 it's mm. always i mean african swine fever has been around for like 100 years or something or even more than that but there's a mass obviously with modern pig farming it's just since 2007 there's been an outbreak going on since then and it's devastated the pig farming industry mm. which you know, obviously i don't feel sorry for the for the industry itself but there's a lot of individual pig suffering happening mm. um it also 
because pigs are wild boar in the domestic version it means that um, obviously that disease can just jump between them and um, it spreads very easily through farms and and, it, and people can easily spread it right. by you know by on their clothes and things like that so and also the disease persists really well in pork so if someone eats a pork sam a ham sandwich and drops some of it and leaves it for a pig to eat then and that pig will con- can right. contract from there but uh wild boar do um have can spread it and do um you know if it gets into a wild boar population and they go around you know and they, they obviously there aren't fences confining them so they could easily spread it to other mm. places so there's been a lot of culling happening in Europe of wild boar for that reason and putting up fences and things. The pig industry in the UK, you know, we don't have it yet, but um, they're on tender hooks and they have been for some years, sort of waiting to see if and when it comes. I mean, a lot of people are saying it's only a matter of time, it will be here in the next few years. And there's something like 5 million pigs in the UK. And obviously most of them do spend their lives indoors, so they, you know, it would spread pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and um, for that reason, you know, I'm... Kevin Stannard, who runs Forestry England, sort of in the west of England, and is based here in the Forest of Dean, you know, he said that is the, and until African swine fever is out of the picture, then, you know, it's never going to happen. Wild boar are never going to be officially reintroduced. And they're working on a vaccine, but um, apparently they've been working, they've been trying to get a vaccine for this disease since the 1920s, which is 100 years. <laughs> Isn't it mad when it affects us as a vaccine like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, well, also, I mean, there was big money in pork, so you know they are throwing a lot of money yeah, yeah, at it. Um, and we still haven't. It's a very tricky disease, much more tricky than COVID, yeah. it seems. And until that, until African swine fever is under control, we're not going to be allowed to have our boar. Uh, the retort then is, why don't we just have fewer pigs in this country? You know, why why don't we just cut yeah, down pork production? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, but I know the answer. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's like yeah, one of those exactly. questions where it's like, yeah. let's just not even yeah. ask that. <laughs> but yeah, so that's why I mean. There's also, obviously, the other issue is, is um, how troublesome and boy- and uh, inconvenient wild boar are to people yeah. is the other reason why it's going to be very difficult to yeah. convince everyone to have them back. Well, I, you know, there are challenges with all these animals. And mm. I think, like you said, it's it's not always just about the singular animal. It's about the way we go forward with our with our nature management and our legislations, our laws and stuff like this. So I think wild boar is very much a solid part of that. And I think it's like the beaver, like you said, if you can start to just step those bits forward, we can, you know, start opening those corridors a bit like a boar scraping through the soil. Mm-hmm. If we can do that, yeah. then we can shine some light on some new ideas and stuff. The yeah. last question for you, Chantel is an into the mm-hmm. wild question that we always ask is if you could recommend something for someone to try or someone something to see in the natural world what would you recommend i would recommend actually just yeah going into the woods or just any kind of green space and uh just zooming your eyes in on a plant or mm. or a log or something and just seeing what you can see because just yesterday i was looking at a tree stump where there were some the husks of some i think some hazelnuts and you know it was really cute because i was thinking oh probably a mouse or a squirrel sat on that and that stump and you know yeah. was just eating and, and then i sort of looked close more closely i could see all these tiny mites on on the surface of the wood and um you know it's just this magical little world that if you just stop and look really closely you can see all these things you didn't think that would be there i like it i like it looking <laughs> yeah. closer always helps yeah. well thank you so much for being on the show it's been an absolute pleasure we will shout about your book when it comes out we've got about six months or you've got about six months well yeah six months to hand it in and then obviously yeah and then and then it takes you know a year to publish it okay so (laughs) people watch this space let's say Mm. that for now um but all the best with writing the book i'm really looking forward to it in the future um and thank you for shining all your information about the wild boar on today's show thank you 
Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.